So after a few sermons working our way through what we've called the Sermon on the Plain, uh, we've come across some pretty radical and countercultural commandments that really, really challenge us and run, run contrary to our human nature. If you remember, Jesus had said things like, Blessed are the poor and woe to the rich. Blessed are you when people hate you because of Jesus, but woe to you when everyone likes you and speaks good of you. He said things like, love your enemies and pray for those who abuse you. Give money to people when they ask of you and don't retaliate back when someone insults you or wrongs you. He says, condemn and you will be condemned, but forgive and you will be forgiven. Now, I know for me that all of, all of these commands have, have challenged me thus far and hopefully for you as well. But Jesus, as he's, as he's wrapping up now this sermon on the plain, he wants to make sure that all of us here don't simply have a, a change of mind regarding these things, but he wants to make sure that there is a change of action in our lives. Now, he calls us here to make one final decision He has told us what is required of those who are going to walk as citizens of the kingdom of God. He has told us what the blessed life is and what the life that leads to damnation looks like. And now he calls us to make a decision regarding those things. Are you going to take my words as merely suggestions or are you going to do them? Are you going to live by them, build your life around them as the foundation of all that you do? Or are we simply going to be hearers of the Word instead of being doers of the Word? And, and, and this decision that Jesus is bringing before the people He's speaking to, bringing before us right now, is a decision that Jesus brings before many of His potential followers. I think of the rich young ruler See, you know that story, a a young man comes up to Jesus and he says to him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, you know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you should honor your mother and father. And then the young man looks at, at Jesus and he says, I've done all of these things since my youth. And then the passage says, Jesus looking at him and loving him said, you lack one thing, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And so you see what Jesus does there is he, he challenges, the, challenges the rich young ruler to make a decision Are you willing to to give up the thing that you hold closest to your heart to follow me? And we know how that story ends. The man leaves sorrowful and discouraged because he was a man of great wealth and he was unwilling to give up that part of his life to come and follow Jesus. Well, similar choice is brought before us today in our passage. Are we going to take and live out the words of Jesus, Jesus' hard words? Or are we going to ignore them? 
and keep on living how we've been living. And so with that, uh, you can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6, where we'll read the final words of Jesus' sermon on the plain. Luke chapter 6, verses 46 to 49. Why do you call me, Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream and, and, when the flood, and when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. For this morning's sermon, I've structured a little bit different than, than what I normally do. Normally, I'd have three or four point sermon with application woven through the text. But this time, we are, we're going we're gonna to do it a little bit differently. We're going to look at the parable of Jesus that he gives here. And then once we've studied the parable, we'll, we'll go back and we'll look at five truths from the text that, that Jesus wants to highlight for us and that I think we need to um, pick up on and practice in our lives. And so then to begin, uh, working through the passage, Jesus says in, in verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? And this here is going to frame uh, what Jesus is saying in this passage. You see, Jesus starts off this section with a problem that, is, that has been present since the beginning uh, of the faith. See, and that problem is, is people hearing God's word and even affirming God's word in their heart as true, but then showing no desire to actually follow it. And Jesus here really, really gets to the heart of it. He, get, he, he says there's an inherent contradiction in that view. I mean, either Jesus is your Lord and you obey what he says, or he isn't your Lord. You know, there's, no, there's no middle ground where someone can say to God, Lord, Lord, but then say, I don't have to obey what Jesus says. It's like if you're on a sports team. You know, if, if you're, you're either going to be on the team and you, you listen to what the coach has to say and what he tells you and you run the plays that the coach has drawn up for you, or if you're, if you're never going to listen to the coach, well, then you can't be on the team. There's, there's no option to say, hey, I want to play on the team, but never listen to anything the coach is telling me. And this is what Jesus is, is talking about. You know, people saying with their mouths, Lord, Lord, but then going ahead and living life as if Jesus is not their Lord. And that's a big problem in Christianity today. Last Sunday, I talked about how the majority of Canadians identify themselves as Christians. It was 53% of Canadians say they're Christian. But we see you know, very little evidence of that in our, in our society today. We see very little evidence of that in people's lives. 
And so now, now why then, we, got, we, we need to ask, is it the case that so many people professing faith, are, are professing faith in Christ but not actually following him? Well, there are many reasons, but one of them, I, I, I think, is that because we don't properly understand what it means that Jesus is Lord. Now, we'll say with our mouths, Jesus is our Savior, Jesus is our Lord, but I don't, I, I don't know if we fully comprehend all that that entails when we say that. You see, the saying, Jesus is Lord, was one of the earliest confessions of the church. Romans 10 verse 9 says, If you say, Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, the confession, Jesus is Lord, is key to the gospel and to salvation. And that's why early Christians would would stand their ground on these words, even if it meant their death. And people in in opposition to Christianity, back then and, and today, hate those three words, Jesus is Lord, because by saying them, We're saying that that Jesus alone is the supreme ruler, the supreme master to whom every single one of us must subject ourselves and obey. Even Caesar himself, the mighty Roman Empire, the Christians back then would say, is subject to the authority of Jesus. It's the same thing today. Justin Trudeau is subject to the authority of Jesus. Joe Biden is subject to the authority of Jesus. Vladimir Putin, every, every single person out there is subject to the lordship of Jesus Christ. There is one Lord, the Bible says, and all owe him their allegiance and service. And so as you can imagine, saying these things, Jesus is Lord, it got the Christians in quite some trouble. They were persecuted for it. They were beaten for it. They lost their jobs. They were thrown into prison. They were sold into slavery. They were beheaded, crucified, and fed to the lions. But they still clung to those words, Jesus is Lord. See, to say Jesus is Lord is to say that He is the supreme ruler, authority, master of all things, including and especially our whole lives. Whatever Jesus says, that's what we do. Everything in your life is subject to Him. He is, to, he is to be obeyed, no matter the cost. And so getting then back to what Jesus says in, in verse 46, we see that you know, it is completely folly, it just doesn't make any sense to say, you know, Lord, Lord, Jesus is my Lord, but then go and not do what Jesus tells us. By its very nature, if Jesus is your Lord, you will obey Him. He will become the authority over all areas of your life and you will live by his words as the foundation of your life. And and, and Jesus warns us that if we don't do that, things things aren't going to end well for us. There's there's not a bright path ahead when we say, Lord, Lord, with our mouths, but say, I'm not going to follow you. And that's what he, he illustrates in this parable. Look at verses 47 to 49. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears 
and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation and when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. And so Jesus here, he tells us the story of two types of people. And both of these people are building a house. The first one builds his house by digging deep down and and clearing away all the sand and the dirt until he he finally reaches down to the rock and then he starts to build his foundation upon that rock. And then the second man, he he decides that he's he's just going to go ahead and build his house right on the surface, right on the the sand and the dirt. He's he's not going to do any digging. He's just going to start building right away uh, without any sort of solid foundation. But eventually, as we see in this parable, I, uh, their, their houses have been completed and all of a sudden it begins to rain and to storm. And the streams begin to rise up and they start to overflow and the, the land starts to flood. And as the flood comes, the first one whose foundation is built upon the rock, though it was beaten and, and battered by the rocks and the floods that came towards it, It didn't move. The floods could not shake it. But the second house that was built upon the ground, when the floods come to it, immediately the floods take it and wash it away and it falls and is destroyed. And what Jesus is illustrating for us here is is two types of people. The first person who built upon the rock is the person who truly believes that Jesus is Lord and shows that to be the case by being obedient to his words. The second person who built upon the sand is the one who may proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord with their mouths, but they don't actually live in obedience to his words as if he is actually their Lord. And we see that there are consequences to that. See, when the storm comes, only one house is going to remain. Empty professions of faith might do you some good in this life, but they do you no good when the storm of God's judgment is coming. Eventually, you will come crumbling down. And now why does does Jesus end his his sermon on this note? You know, why he's got all these people listen to him. Why not give, you know, a a more uppity, a more positive ending to his sermon? Well, he does this because it's an unfortunate reality that many people do. People in this room may hear the words of Jesus and and, and can be convinced of them in their heart. These words are true. But when it comes time to actually practice them, we're not willing to go there. We're not willing to, to, to pass the line in the sand that we have drawn of where we will follow Jesus and where we will not follow Jesus. And because of that, when trials come or when the judgment of God comes, the life that that we live built upon a different foundation is going to crumble and mean absolutely nothing. And so Jesus says, why? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but do not do what I tell you? It's a question we all have to reflect on in our own lives. What areas of your life are, are you not willing to subject to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? What commands of Jesus do you hear and, and, say, and say, you know, I'm sorry, I, I'm just not going to do that. 
You might be right on these other things, but you're wrong on this, Jesus. You might say that, that this is the fruitful life, but no, I, I, I just don't believe it. I don't trust you enough to do that. We all need to ask ourselves that question. What area are we not willing to follow Jesus as Lord of our life? And so that concludes then the, the first, first part of our sermon uh, where we've walked through the passage. And now let's look at what are, what are some of the truths that come out of this that, that we can take and we can apply to our own lives. What, what do we see either explicitly in the text or implicitly from what Jesus has taught us in this passage? And so there's five truths. Truth number one is this. Everyone's life is built on something. Everyone's life is built on something. In the parable that Jesus gives, we see that you know, both of the men go ahead and, and start building their houses. The, the difference between the men is not that they're both building houses, it's that they're building their houses on something different from each other. And so likewise, every human being is going to go ahead and build their life. Every human being is going to go and pursue things and act and behave and think in a certain way, strive after particular goals and purposes in our lives. But where we differ, where, where, where people are going to differ, is in what the foundation for all of those things is. See, and, 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 everything, and this is important because everything we, we do think and say is going to flow out of that foundation. It's what we call a, a worldview. A worldview. Everyone, everyone has a worldview that drives what they do. Everyone has a way in which they view the world that's going to determine how they act. And it's, it's from this foundational worldview that we build our lives. Everything comes from our worldview. We derive our, our morality from it. We derive our, our purposes in life from it. We derive how we're going to respond to certain circumstances or things we see and face in the world. And I'll give you one example of how, how our worldview, our foundation, plays out morally. See, a, a hotly debated topic in Canada is the ethics behind medical assistance in dying, or, or it's called MAID for short. We don't have our doctor here this morning Unfortunately, but he would know that, that this is a, a hotly debated topic. Uh, in Canada, unfortunately, we've, we've almost skipped the debate and we've just went ahead with it. But in the States, it's being argued quite a bit. And, and MAID is essentially, or medical assistance dying, is essentially a, a softer way of saying euthanasia or physicians-assisted suicide. And it it's essentially in, involves the, the killing of someone before they would naturally die in order to to ease their suffering in some sort of way. Now, you're probably familiar with this idea. You, you've probably heard of it uh, more so in animals. You know, someone has an animal that's blind in both eyes and only has three legs and has got tumors all over its body. And so uh, you put them down. You euthanize them. You, you ease their suffering. And so the question uh, is... Is euthanasia a, a moral good or a moral evil? And how you're going to answer that question is all going to flow from the worldview that you have. And how you think about the, the issue of euthanasia is going to be determined by the foundation that you have laid. 
You see, if you have a, a secular humanistic worldview where, where human beings are simply biological creatures that have evolved over billions of years and the, the purpose of life is really what you make it and what you decide for yourself, well then if, if you decide that your purpose is to no longer live, to, to have an end to your suffering, well then there is really nothing morally wrong with having, having a doctor help you kill yourself. You know, the common rally cry of, of this worldview of humanists is that everybody has the right to die with dignity and not suffering until the very end. But on the other hand, you know, a, a, a biblical worldview is going to cause you to look at this topic differently. We, for example, see that God is the creator and author of both death and life. You know, he holds the power to give life, and he holds the power to take it when the appointed time has come. We don't hold that power as humans. God has not given us that except in the circumstance of uh, capital punishment, but we won't get into that now. And then in addition, we see God, God has made all humanity in the image of God. So we look at someone dying, and we don't see them as just a a, a organism, a biological organism that has come to be after billions of years of, of evolution. We see each person, every single person from the moment of conception until the Lord takes them as made in the image of God. And God has given the good gift of life. Life is a good gift that God has given. And euthanasia, it spurns the gift of life that God gives and it embraces the curse of of death. And then we also understand from a biblical worldview that that suffering is evil and we should try to minimize suffering when we're able to do that. And 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 God can and does still work in and through our suffering, but minimizing suffering is not is not the main goal that we have as Christians. Our, it is a goal that we have you know, to see suffering decrease in this life, but it's not the main goal. And, and, and God is still able to work through that suffering. Romans 5 verse 3 says, suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. And so our greatest goal is not the easing of suffering. Our greatest goal is to be obedient to God's word and not take innocent life and our God is so good that even in suffering he's working all things for the good of those who love him and so Christians who have a biblical worldview and and people who have a worldview and a foundation built on something else are going to look at these issues quite differently you know we we are going to approach them and that's all determined by what we have built our lives upon you see you can that, that example shows us that whatever your worldview is, and everyone has a worldview, it's going to affect every decision that you make in life. And so that's the truth number one. Everybody has a foundation. Everybody is going to build their life on something. And this leads actually to our second truth. And our second truth is that God's word and obedience needs to be our foundation. So the so we're going to be building our lives on something, and what we need to build it on is the foundation of God's Word and our obedience to it. See, a firm life 
that will not be shaken is only accomplished when we build our lives around obedience to God's word. That's what Jesus is getting at with this parable. We need a, a biblical worldview with Jesus as our Lord. So if we're going to navigate the difficult waters of living in this world, we need something firm. We need a, a, a true foundation that we can stand upon. And this applies to every area of our lives. Remember earlier we talked about the lordship of Jesus? Well, Jesus is not just lord over certain areas of your life. He's lord over every area of your life. He's not just lord over your spiritual walk with God, but in everything. You know, how you run a business, how you teach your children, what you eat, what you listen to, how you view medically approaching things, how you spend your money, how you approach uh, environment and stewarding God's creation, how you, how you vote in elections. All of these things are all, all areas in which God and, and Jesus needs to be the Lord over your life. I say here literally, and people often use that word literally too often, but literally, Jesus must be the Lord of every area of your life. There is, there is no area in which Jesus is exempt from being your Lord. And so as, as another example, because I find examples help us, let's, let's talk about teaching your children. School and learning, though many people think it's a, it's a neutral thing, uh, it's actually not a neutral thing. What you teach your children is, is, is going to be built upon some sort of worldview or some uh, and, and that will either be a, a biblical worldview or some other worldview. You know, science is the, is the obvious one uh, where the Christian worldview is going to differ from the, the secular worldview where we see God has created the world, he's created us, and it wasn't just a random chance that it came about. But it, even, even in all of the other subjects, this is true as well. You know, history, for example. How you read history what you even decide to teach as history, what you focus on as important in history, how you interpret the events of history, all of that has a, has a worldview behind it. Now, there is a Christian way to teach history, and there's a non-Christian way to teach history. There is even a Christian way to teach math and to teach logic, because all of that is rooted in, 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 in our God who has created order and who's created a way in which things work and which reason makes sense. And there's a non-Christian way to do that. And so everything in this world has a, has a, has a worldview behind it. And so we want to make sure that that worldview is a biblical worldview. That Jesus is Lord over even the tiniest areas of our life. Everything, everything you do needs to be filtered through God's word and what it says and what obedience to God's word looks like in that area of your life. And so that's the second truth, that our foundation needs to be God's word and obedience to it. And moving on to truth number three. You need to know God's word if it's going to be your foundation. So we see everybody has a foundation. Our foundation needs to be God's word and obedience to it. Well, if that's the case, then we need to know God's word if it's going to be our foundation. Now, this isn't explicitly said in the text. Jesus doesn't say, go and, and read your Bible, but implicitly it comes out. You can't obey something that you don't know. How can you filter every decision you make through the scriptures 
if you don't know the Scriptures? How can you have the Bible as your foundation if you aren't even aware of what the Bible says on particular things? I mean, do you know what the Bible says about raising your children and disciplining your children? Do you know what the Bible says about budgeting your money or about the government or about honoring your father and mother at all stages of your life or about anxiety or fear or depression or anger? You know, and, and, and so on. The Bible, the Bible uh, Timothy says, is, is able to equip us for every good work. The Bible equips us for all that we need in the Christian life. And you can't know how to be equipped. You can't know all of these answers. You can't build a biblical worldview if you don't know what you're building your worldview around. Just as I can't build the world's greatest sports car if I don't know anything about how cars work or function best. And so then I, I, I encourage you this morning, make the study of God's Word a priority in your life. Now, I know many of us have, have busy lives. I see it more so in my wife's life than I. Taking care of four young children, it's busy. It's, it's hard to find time to get into God's Word. But I am almost certain that if you, if you go and you track how you're allocating your time throughout the day, there's, there is going to be some sort of you know, wasted time in your life or some sort of activity that you value, value really high uh, that can be placed maybe to the side or, or pushed to another time so that you can be studying God's Word. You know, every Sunday morning, I got it this morning, I get a ding on my phone and it's my screen time update. And it serves as a reminder to me that I can never use the excuse that I don't have enough time to read my Bible. We, we waste a lot of time on things that, that we don't need to waste time on. We, we have time to read our Bible. And then as you read the Bible, maybe you are and you're like, I, I'm just not, I read it, but I'm not getting anything out of it. Well, one thing is, don't, don't spend your time just zooming through the Bible, you know, while Say, I, I got to get my four chapters done this morning. And as you're reading through those four chapters, you know, you're thinking about what you need to do throughout the day. You're thinking about what you're going to make for, for lunch or for dinner or the groceries that you need to get or, or a job that you have to do around the house. You know, don't, just, don't let your mind wander. That's not reading your Bible. That's, that's letting your eyes skim the words of your Bible. You know, go find a place where, where you can read fairly undistracted. And if that means you know, waking up a half an hour earlier, then do it. And then ask God to, to focus your mind and your thoughts on the Word as you're reading it, removing the distractions that might come. And then one last suggestion to help you uh, if you are struggling with that. Actually, Hannah and I were both talking about this last night. Uh, start something called a, a topical journal. What a topical journal is, is, is when, when you're reading your Bible and you come across certain topics like the holiness of God or or uh, raising your, your children, or even small things like what does the Bible say about food? You know, have these topics in your journal, and when you come across passages that speak on those things, write them down in those journals. Write the verse down, and so eventually you're going to end up with this, this list where you can flip through this journal that you have, and you see all that the Bible has to say on all of these topics. And not only does that help you remember God's Word, it helps you practice God's Word, and also helps you form this worldview 
uh, regarding each of those topics that we're called to be thinking biblically on. And so if you're not spending time in the Word uh, this morning, let, that, let, let today be the change of that. If you have to decide to delete a social media app or, or um, wake up earlier or decrease the amount of Netflix that you watch or, or sit down with your, your wife after the kids have gone to bed and read the Bible together, it's totally worth it. It's totally worth it if you're going to live on the foundation of God's Word. And this leads into the fourth truth. Because you might be saying, that's hard, Lucas. You're asking me to make sacrifices in my life. Well, the fourth truth here is, building on a solid foundation is hard work. Building on a solid foundation is hard work. Notice how in verse 48, the man who is building on the rock, what does he need to do? He needs to go and he needs to dig away all the dirt and all the sand that's there. Now, if you live in Montague, you don't have to dig very far. Only about six inches and you hit the rock. But there, you've got, you got to do some serious digging. And it's sand and it all falls back in and it's heavy. And, and you've got to get all of this out so that you can get down to the rock. It takes extra work. There's going to be a cost to it. It's going to take effort for you to dig. You're going to get sweaty. You're going to get sore. But if you want to get away all that dirt, if you want to get down to the rock, it's going to take hard work. If you just want to build on the sand, it's easy. And I think we can all agree that it's much, it is much easier. If we're honest, it, it is much easier to not obey Jesus, to not obey the Bible, than it is to obey Him. You know, the, the sinful tendency of our hearts is, is to disobey rather than obey. You know, it's, it's easier to not give to those in need than it is to give to those in need. It's easier when someone insults you or someone does something wrong to you to respond back, to want to take revenge, to retaliate. If someone makes a mean comment to you in an argument, it, it's so easy to snap back and take a shot at them. It's easier to, to hate your enemies. But the Christian life is not called to be an easy life. No one said that the Christian life is to be easy. If, if, if someone sold you on that, they lied to you. I seem to remember Jesus saying in a passage, take up your cross daily. You know, an instrument of pain, an instrument of torture, and come and follow me. Building on the rock takes work. And it is going to cost you. It is going to require sacrifice on your part. You no longer live for your glory, but for the glory of God. You no longer serve your own interests, but the interests of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your life is not about, not about all the happiness that you can get in this world, but it's about holiness before God. And that's costly. That's very costly. If you have to take a pay cut so you can spend more time loving your wife or, or to deal with a, with a child that's giving, giving your your wife a hard time at home, then that's a sacrifice that you, you, you may need to make. If you need to you know, give up a trip that you're, you're planning to go on to, to help a family that's really been struggling and is really in need, that's a sacrifice that you may need to make. If you need to give up one of the extracurriculars that you have your children in so that you can come and, and meet with the church throughout the week, be encouraged, encourage them, then that's a sacrifice 
that you may need to make. Following Jesus is hard. No one said it's going to be easy. And if you're expecting that it's going to be easy peasy, then you got the wrong idea. Jesus says narrow. Narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. You know, as one theologian said, when, when Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. He bids him come and die. See, obedience is, is hard. But, but, that is why God gives us helpers. Helpers to strengthen us down the narrow road. You know, first and foremost, God gives us the Holy Spirit, whose name is literally the, the Helper. The one who comes alongside us. When, when, when Jesus commands us, it, it, it might look hard, it might look impossible for us to accomplish on our own, but we're not on our own. You are not on your own if you are in Jesus Christ. The Spirit strengthens us when we are weary. It gives us power when we are weak. It helps us fight the temptations of sin when it seeks to overcome us. And it keeps us on the, off of the wide and easy path that leads to destruction and keeps us on the narrow and difficult road that leads us to life. You know, the, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit is truly a, a gift that strengthens us. We couldn't save ourselves from our sins. God's grace needed to save us from that. Jesus needed to come and die for our sins. And likewise, we can't, we can't continue to overcome sin on our own. And that's why God sends us the Spirit to help us walk on this road. And then on top of that, God also gives us fellow believers. You know, fellow believers to hold our hands as we walk together on the narrow road. All of us, you know, carrying our crosses side by side. And when one falls down, we help them up. When, when one is lagging behind, we come and we, we lighten their burden and we help them on their way. When one is, you know, wandering from the path. We give them a smack on the head and say, come, get back on the path. You know, God has given us believers to help us walk this road together. And it's hard. Now, I get that. But you are not alone. You are not alone in this. The Spirit is with you. Your church is with you. And if we humble ourselves rely upon the power of God and the gifts that He has given us, we will, by God's grace, finish the race, the hard race, the marathon that is set before us, and we will receive the crown of life. Now, you might be a little discouraged by that last truth. Now, the road before you is a hard road. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be difficulties. But there's one final truth now that we're going to look up. Truth number five. And that is that building on the solid foundation is worth it. Building on the solid foundation is worth it. It is hard, but it is worth it. In the parable that Jesus gives, you know, it's the house that's built on the rock that stands. Every house not built on the rock succumbs to the destruction that is coming for it. But for the person who has counted the costs, the person who has persevered through the trials and the tribulations, the person who has held fast to the Word of God, even though it was hard, even though they may not have reaped all of the pleasures of this world because they have chosen to follow Jesus, they alone will reap the promise 
of eternal life. And that is worth it. Every time you are tempted to say to yourself, this is too hard. Jesus is asking too much of me. I can't do it. Go and focus your mind on what is waiting for you there at the end. Let us us look to Paul as our example in this. I am so thankful. I am so thankful for the the writings and the works of Paul. Paul was a man who was on fire for the Lord. He was a man who knew what it meant to follow Jesus no matter the cost. A man who was imprisoned more than once, beaten to a pulp on numerous occasions, stoned and left for dead and ultimately killed for his dedication to Jesus Christ. And yet, this man Paul, who suffered all of this, could write those words in Romans chapter 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Or how about what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4? So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction Now, he's saying that about being beaten to a pulp. This light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That is what, what we look to when the road before us is hard. That there is a city, a great heavenly city that is waiting for us. And it is worth the suffering. It is, it is worth the pain. It is worth saying no to the things of this world. One of my favorite passages. Revelation chapter 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. See, the Christian life is is hard, but it is totally worth it. We will be fully united, see our Lord Jesus face to face, And we will enjoy his presence for all of eternity if we persevere and we continue on and we build our life upon the rock of Jesus Christ. And so in conclusion, as I said at the beginning of the sermon, Jesus here is calling each and every one of us to make a decision as to whether we are going to truly, truly follow Jesus as Lord. And that means following him both in word and deed. That means subjecting all that is in your life to His Lordship. Saying, not my will, but your will be done. Even though I want these things, Jesus wants something else for me. And I'm going to follow that. You know, this isn't the first time that God has given this choice to His people. A similar scene unfolds when Moses... You know, he's standing there and he's standing there on the mountain and he is delivering the law of God to the Israelites before they're about to enter into the promised land. And he puts a very similar proposition to them. 
Deuteronomy 30 says this, See, I set before you today life and prosperity or death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, and to keep His commands. Then you will live and you will increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient to His commands, and if you this day say, and and if you are drawn away to bow down to other lords and other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land that you are crossing over the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. Choose life so that you and your children may live. See, Jesus as the second and greater Moses standing there delivering the proper interpretation of God's law says the same thing to us today. Will you live by these commands and choose life or will you serve some other Lord? And yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, you're going to miss out on some of the pleasures of this world. But Jesus says, what profited a man if he gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? It's worth it to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Choose life today. Choose the only foundation that will, rem- that will remain, the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he has commanded. Let me pray.